This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now. After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Welcome to Living with Reality, a podcast featuring archive teachings and modern conversations with Dr. Robert Svoboda, brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. Living with Reality explores Ayurveda and other wisdom traditions of India, which Dr. Svoboda has been studying for nearly 50 years. For more information, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dr. Svoboda. That's D-R-S-V-O-B-O-D-A. Hello and welcome to the Living with Reality podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield, your host and Dr. Swoboda's media manager. This week, we've selected a clip from the archives from a talk that Dr. Swoboda has given in 2017 all about Sankhya philosophy, which is the underlying philosophy of Ayurveda, yoga, and many of the Indian sciences. At the beginning here, he leads us through a meditation for the five elements and talks about how we breathe and getting the breath down into the body. And this sets us up for a better understanding of how Sankhya works. And actually, he talks about the origins of consciousness from the Indian perspective versus the Western perspective. So we hope you enjoy this clip. The average person, especially nowadays, breathes much of the time with their intercostal muscles. These are the muscles in between your ribs whose only job is to open the chest, open the rib cage so that the lungs can expand a little further. The breathing muscle is one very large muscle, which is down here, the diaphragm. 
and it breathes by moving downward. And when it moves downward, a relative vacuum is created in the chest cavity and that sucks air in. And when the diaphragm moves upward, there's less of that vacuum and the air rushes out. It's simply a matter of relative pressure in and out. But many people, or perhaps most people today, do not breathe with the diaphragm. And therefore, they are not getting the energy, the prana that they're taking in. Is there anyone who does not, is not familiar with the word prana? So they are not getting the prana that they breathe in to get down into the body. And if we think for a moment, let's leave the chakras out of this for now, but it is true that there is a certain uh, extra collection of the earth, the space element here, and the air element here, and the fire element here, and the water element here, and the earth element down at the tip of the spine. So, because there is an, an accumulation of the earth element at the tip of the spine, it's only if we get the prana to be regularly going down to the tip of the spine that we will be able to access the earth element that we have already created inside ourselves, the Mahabhuta. So this is the earth element that has already been taken into us. This is the earth element itself is a Mahabhuta, but the part of it we have to, if we want stability, we have to have an adequate amount of the earth element. It either has to be inside us or it has to be somehow aligned with us in some kind of external form. So even if we have a good amount of the earth element inside us, we may not be able to access it if we are not getting our energy down to where the earth element is located. Therefore, it is very important to be focusing at all times on breathing very deeply into the body, breathing very deeply with the help of the diaphragm and trying to get the sensation that the energy is getting all the way down to the tip of the spine because it is that sensation Wherever your attention goes, your prana will go. So if you can make your attention go down with the current of the breath down to the tip of your spine, then in fact, you will be encouraging the prana to activate in a positive way, the earth element inside your organism. So just for a moment, please sit and close your eyes. Sit in a nice, uh, comfortable way. And um, breathe calmly and deeply. Use your diaphragm. And as you breathe in, remember, as you're breathing in, your diaphragm is moving down. As you breathe out, your diaphragm is moving back up. 
So as you breathe in, just envision that the breath is not stopping at the diaphragm. Just envision that the breath is going down past the navel, past the pubic area, down all the way to the tip of the spine. And as you breathe out, envision that that breath is coming from the tip of the spine all the way back up, all the way out again. As you breathe in, the prana comes in, but it doesn't stop at the diaphragm. You're envisioning that the breath is going down. And as you envision that, your prana goes down also. And then as you breathe out, you breathe your, bring your awareness all the way from the tip of the spine, all the way back out. So by doing this, you're helping your awareness connect to the earth element. And if it's your awareness being connected to the earth element, then the prana is being connected to the earth element. And that means then that the prana in your body, as it circulates around, will have a good alignment with the earth element and can bring the earth element to anywhere in the body that might require the earth element. Continue doing that. And as you do that, think that the center of the earth is approximately 6,400 kilometers beneath the surface of the earth. And it is the center of the earth that is the cause of gravity that keeps us connected to the earth. So really the center of the earth is the most, it's the, the essence of what the earth element really is. In, and it's very similar from the perspective of the body of the earth, it's very similar to what the bottom of the tailbone is in the physical body. And because these two things are similar, they're not similar in form, but they're similar in essence, the very fact that we can visualize the center of the earth and draw a connection between it and the bottom of the spine means that we can strengthen the earth element in the body simply by means of breathing down into the center of the earth. So continue to breathe. Let your awareness drop as far down into the earth as possible. That area at the tip of the spine is called sometimes in Sanskrit, the muladhara. Mula means root, adhara means foundation. So it is the root foundation of the organism. It's the place 
of greatest potential stability in the organism. So the closer you can get your awareness down to that mula, down to that root, the more stable your awareness will be. The higher up in your body that your awareness focuses, the less stable you will be. Continue to breathe for a moment. And move up to the area around your pubis. This is connected to the water element. And it's where the kidneys are, and they certainly are at a part of the water reality. And it's where the gonads are, the ovaries and the testes, and they're creating the water, the very refined and subtle water that is the reproductive fluids. And this water, of course, that's inside us is resonating at all times with the water that is outside of us. And it's also changing according to the dictates of the moon, that very moon which creates tides in the ocean and tides inside us. Our bloodstream originally was ocean water long, long ago, until a closed circulation was developed, but it was based on ocean water and there still is a resonance between the ocean and the bloodstream. And for that matter, between any large body of water and the blood. and there is water all around us. So if we align ourselves well with water, breathing in and then breathing out in all directions, extending our awareness out into water and bringing it back, exploring the world of water, trying to create a balance between the Mahabhuta of water on the outside and the Mahabhuta of water on the inside. And then moving upwards to the solar plexus just below the navel, that is the seat of the fire element in the body. And it is much easier for us to breathe down into the fire element because that's where the diaphragm is actually working in that very area. 
So our job is to make sure that at the very least we're breathing with the diaphragm so that like a bellows, it will be making the digestive fire hotter so that we can digest things better. And from the solar plexus or the navel, we move up to the heart, the seat of the air element. It is from the heart that the prana and the oxygen go out to all the tissues and the waste products come back from all the tissues and are then filtered out and removed via the kidneys or the colon or the lungs. So if we breathe into the heart and open the heart so that the prana can circulate in it well, then the prana that gets into our bodies will be healthy prana. And just as we connected the tip of the spine to the center of the earth and connected the water to all of the water in the world. We can connect the fire element at the solar plexus to the sun, the source of all the fire in the world. Paika. Draw a strong connection between the sun and the solar plexus. And between the heart and the wind, but not the dangerous tornado, hurricane, gale force wind, rather the gentle wind. It circulates the air in a pleasing way. And brings the fragrance of the flowers into each of the tissues at a very profound level. And that brings us to the throat. As we breathe in and out, it's very important to ensure that the breath is going through the throat without being obstructed. Because all too often we're obstructing it. sometimes in a physical way by eating too much, too many dairy products or cheese or whatever, but even more often in a subtle way. 
as we misuse speech in one way or another. So speech being the subtle form of the space element, we have to be very careful with our speech if we want the prana to circulate well in the body and particularly in the context of the space element. So, at this point, please open your eyes halfway so that you are still focusing on breathing in through all of these five locations where the elements are located and breathing out through all those five locations again. Keep your eyes open halfway so that you will possibly have the ability to maintain at least a little bit of awareness of what's happening on the inside, even while you return your awareness to what's happening on the outside. And after a few breaths, when you can feel like you're still connected some to some degree on the inside, then open your eyes all the way. This kind of meditative breathing is a useful experience when you're exploring the five elements for several reasons. One reason is it reminds you of the fact that the elements from the Ayurvedic and Tantric perspective and yogic perspective, the elements are evolved from one another. The Chinese system describes the same reality, but it describes it in a different way and describes it with a different dynamic. But the dynamic of the five elements is based in the Sankhya philosophy, or the Sankhya darshana. Darshana in Sanskrit means both vision and philosophy, meaning that however it is you see the world, that is your philosophy. And whatever your philosophy is, that will determine what you can see in the world. So the big difference between the Sankhya philosophy and modern physics is that modern physics believes that the entire universe was created from matter and energy and consciousness somehow <coughs> developed later on. They don't explain that part very well. 
and the Sankhya approach, they both believe in the Big Bang, that there was a singularity before the manifestation of the universe. And this singularity had no dimension, no mass. It only had existence in the context of having some sort of position. And that somehow, by a method not explained also, there was a disturbance in the equilibrium of this extremely teeny tiny, small, very, very small thing. And it expanded into the universe that you and I are now living in. The Indian approach is that in fact, that singularity was beyond energy and matter and it was consciousness that had been refined to its most refined form in which it had lost all description, all attributes, all qualities. It could not be experienced by anything other than itself. Sometimes that reality is described in Sanskrit as Sat Chit Ananda. Sat means in this context existence, which is a true existence, which means not requiring any support, being independently existent. Sat. Chit means awareness. And ananda means joy or bliss. So there was this point, this singularity that existed, that was aware of its existence and was filled with the joy of being existent, self-aware, and not dependent on anything else. Sometimes that same reality is described as satyam, Ritam brahat, satyam again meaning true or real. Ritam being pretty much the same thing as the English word rhythm, meaning that it had its own its own resonance with itself, its own natural, very, very uh, fundamental. Uh, pattern, whatever that pattern might be, and brahat, that despite the fact that it was infinitesimally tiny, it was vast in its potential. And then that tiny, infinitesimally small consciousness expanded itself into the big world we see now. And the reason why this happened is a matter of for discussion, since none of us were there when it happened to be able to observe it. But a good explanation, as far as I'm concerned, was delivered by Jnaneshwara Maharaj, 
And Jnaneshwara Maharaj lived about 750 years ago in the town of Arlandi, which is 21 kilometers from the center of Pune in India. And Jnaneshwara Maharaj, his story is a very fine and interesting story. He wrote a commentary on the Bhagavad Gita. It is my favorite commentary. I like to reread it periodically. It is officially called the Bhavartha Deepika, the illumination of the meaning of the states of existence. But everyone just calls it the Jnaneshwari. He wrote this, there's a disagreement of how old he was, but he was either 17 or 21. And then um, he uh, entered into what they call Jivan Samadhi, and is supposedly still there, 750 years later, in a cave near Pune. In addition to the Bhavarta Deepika, he wrote a couple of other things, including a beautiful poem about Shiva and Shakti called the Amritanubhava, which means both the nectar of experience and the experience of nectar. And in this, it said that in the same way that you or I or any other human being cannot see his or her face without a mirror, the supreme reality, which was itself and nothing but itself, could not experience itself, could not see its face, could not understand what its potential was without having a mirror. So it created the universe to act as its mirror. And it created all of the different beings in the universe, including the human being, which has the potential to act as a mirror for the supreme reality. And this is the purpose of being a human being. So you can act as a mirror for the supreme reality. So in the process of developing the universe, the supreme reality first had to create a part of itself that believed it was different from itself, even though it really was not. And this we call the prakriti or the mula prakriti, the root field in which everything takes place. And this was the first karma that happened. The karma of the prakriti starting to believe that it was separate from the purusha, even though in reality it is not separate. So the unhappy truth is the entire universe is founded on something that is not true which means we have to work very diligently to move in the direction of what is true because everything in the universe is fundamentally slightly not true. So that is a bit of a challenge, but there's still good news. And the good news is, that was the bad news. The good news, on the other hand, is that because of the law of karma, First, there was the manifestation of this field 
that was identical to the supreme reality, except for the extremely important inaccuracy that it believed that it was separate. But because of the nature of the law of karma, which is when you have an action, there is bound to be a reaction. As soon as this was created, there was an immediate return of attention. There was first the attention of, I am now my own thing. And there was then the attention of, I am my own thing, but the only thing worth paying attention to is the supreme reality. So then the attention went back in the direction of the supreme reality, which is a happy thing. This is good news. And that created a field of intelligence and awareness that is very intelligent and aware, except for the problem that it is based in something that is wrong. But let's not quibble about that at the moment. So there was the outward, then there was the return inward. We call this the mahat, which means the extremely vast and big, and it is also called the buddhi. So Lord Buddha was a person who was able to take his entire awareness and bring it to this field that is just extremely very close to that reality that has no limitations whatsoever. Because he was able to negate all of the other things that have developed thereafter. The most important of these being that first there was the expansion into separation, then there was the return of the intelligence back in the direction of the supreme reality, but from position of apparent separation. And then, because of the law of karma, now that awareness had to go back out again. But now it is going back out in the direction of trying to understand what is what the fact that all of a sudden there's a bunch of movement in all directions. And because of the nature of physics, etc., the awareness starts to get individualized. And there start to be more than one position from which a perspective towards the supreme reality can be created. And that more that 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 faculty that creates more than oneness is called the ahankara. Aham in Sanskrit means I, like I, me, I, me, me, mine, I. And it represents the sum total of existence as can be experienced by an individual. So a uh, is the first letter of the Sanskrit alphabet. Ha uh, is the last letter. Aham, uh-huh. it's sort of like the alpha and the omega. Ahankara, kara means the thing that creates. So ahankara divides itself into sattva, rajas, and tamas. And sattva evolves into the manas, the thinking mind that is always calculating, always measuring. Manas comes from a root that means to measure. And the word maya comes from a root that means to measure. So what we call maya and flee from in terror, if we are uh, sattvic yogis, is nothing more than measurement. It is the understanding of the world. It's when you get trapped in measurement that you have a problem with maya. 
Otherwise, why should there be a problem with Maya? Maya is simply doing its job. It's there to be measured and to measure. So there's a difference between chit shakti, which is moving in the direction of less limitation, and maya shakti, which is moving in the direction of more limitation, because every time you measure something, you've created more limitation. You've, by measuring something, you were saying that this is different from this. I'm sure that you are familiar with the fact that in quantum mechanics, you can't talk about a particle or a wave as having any qualities whatsoever until you measure it because it has a number of potential states that it could be in. And only when you measure it, do those states collapse, the poten- all the possible states collapse into one state. So it's, it's very much the effect of Maya that the more, the greater the number of observations that occur, the greater the limitations that are put onto the system. And it is the fact that we as humans are now directly affecting the universe by observing it. Every star and every planet that we observe, we are causing to some degree to collapse into the state in which we observe them. Now, whether this is a good thing or not, we don't know. It's hard to know whether something is good or not. Probably you've heard the excellent story about the old Chinese farmer And his philosophy was always, let's see. So one day a horse came into his yard and there was no brand on it and there was no name on it. And so he tied it up and all the neighbors, let's call the farmer Wong. And everybody went to Wong and they said, Wong, you're a lucky guy. And Wong said, let's see. And the next day Wong's son went out to try to ride the horse and the horse was not in the mood to be ridden. If you've ever been around horses, you know that when the horse is not in mood mood to be ridden, the best thing to do is do not ride the horse. (laughs) This is the best thing. But Wong's son was a young man. He was saying, no, I shall ride the horse. So he got onto the horse, off went son of Wong, landed on his leg, broke it. And all the neighbors said, oh, Wong, bad luck horse. Uh, Unfortunate. Wong said, let's see. The next day, the emperor's army came through looking for cannon fodder to be taken to fight a hopeless suicidal war against the barbarians. But Wong Sun could not go because his leg had just been broken. And the neighbors all said, oh, Wong, excellent horse. And Wong said, let's see. So we never know exactly whether things are good or not. We do know that we have, as a species, been doing some very naughty things. And now we're extending our awareness out into all directions. And who knows what we're going to, whose attention we're going to attract and whether that will be something nice or something not so nice. I guess we'll find out. In the meanwhile, we must remain calm and continue to recite the name of Rama, (laughs) so that whatever happens, we will be on the Rama wavelength. Tuli. Tele? Tuli. Tuli. Agni. Om. Thank you. So awareness, sattva, rajas, and tamas. From awareness, we have manas, which is always calculating things. 
And we have the five senses of awareness, which we're all familiar with, and the five senses of action, which represent, which are communication represented by the tongue. But communication, no matter what organ you use, if you use sign language, you are communicating. We just use the tongue because that's the major way that we communicate. But if you're using sign language, then for the moment you're doing that, your hand is equivalent to your tongue. What normally would come out the tongue comes out the hand. So communication, manipulation, which is what we use the hands for, or anything else. If you paint with your feet, you your foot is manipulating. It's like your hand at that moment. Locomotion which we represent by the feet. Of course, if you walk on your hands, then your hands are currently your feet. Excretion, which we represent by the anus, but this applies to also urine and sweat and, and uh, navel lint and earwax and smegma and all the other things that we're excreting all the time, carbon dioxide, bizarre thoughts, everything. And creation or procreation, represented by the genital organ, but any kind of creative activity is part of it under is contained under this category. So we have communication, manipulation, locomotion, uh, excretion, and creation. These are the five things that we can do. And the mind is controlling these things. The mind takes in information from the five organs of perception and it sends information out to the five organs of action. And basically speaking, for the average animal, there are only two things they do every day. Occasionally they will mate, maybe they will wander around and play a game or something, but every day there's only two things that all animals do. And for that matter, all plants, but especially all animals, since they're more mobile. Number one is find things to eat. And number two is avoid being eaten. It's very simple. Life is not complicated. And this is what creates approach and avoidance. You approach the things that look good to be eaten. You avoid the things that look like they might eat you. If you do not avoid the things that look like they might eat you, you will be removed from the gene pool. It will be a Darwinistic experience. If you avoid the things that you should be eating, you will not exist for very long. So you have to do this on a daily basis. So therefore, for a long time, we have associated the sense organs with two things. One is approach and the other is avoidance. In Sanskrit, these are called raga and dvesha. And this is the basis of Ayurveda. If you go to the Ashtanga Hridayam, which is one of the three most important Ayurvedic texts, in, in fact, the three Ayurvedic texts that are most important are called the Brahatrayi, which appropriately means the big three. Ashtanga Hridayam is a third, and in many ways it is a condensation of the first two. If you go to the beginning, and you would go to the beginning because in Sanskrit there is only one punctuation mark. It is an, a line up and down called a danda, which means a 
stick. It is a stick. And that just indicates where something stops. It is a simple process. There are no capital letters, there are no exclamation points, there are no commas, semicolons, colons, or anything else. So if you want to indicate that something's important, you have to put it in an important location where people will pay attention to it. Usually at the beginning is most common because there is always the implication that whatever comes at the beginning in a text, you should always remember for the rest of the text. In Patanjali's Yoga Sutras, not the first sutra, but the second one is, Yochitta Vritti Niroda, the de- his initial definition of yoga, Chitta Vritti Niroda, restraint of the fluctuations of the mind. There are other definitions of yoga. Krishna and the Bhagavad Gita defines yoga in different ways. Karmasu Kaushalyam, Samatya, Samatvam. So there are a number of different definitions. But the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita, Dharmakshetre, Kurukshetre, Samaveta, Yutsavat, Dharmakshetra. At the beginning of the Ashtanga Hridayam, the first word is Ragadi, and the second word is Rogan. Roga means disease. Rogan is plural, but is plural, diseases. Ragadi means raga, etc., or rather beginning with raga. So ragadi rogan means all diseases beginning with raga. And raga means raga is the type of mode of music. You've heard Indian music, you know there are ragas. Raga means the color red. Raga means inflammation. Raga means craving. Raga means fever. So in this context, raga means a feverish passion for something that you were attracted to. This is the chief cause of all disease. In fact, this is the chief disease. The chief disease is a craving for something. So when you crave something, you go out of being well-established in yourself You are looking for something that you feel like is something that you have to take in that will provide you what you are missing. In an ordinary animal, they will not care whether they uh, are missing the Louis Vuitton bag or not, because they do not know and do not care about. They care about what is available to eat. And that's where we started off. And that's where our sense organs started off. But then, little by little, the sense organs started to move in the direction of other things that they could eat. So we eat with the eyes, we eat with the nose, we eat with the ears, we eat with the skin. We're taking things in all the time. And all of these things are assisting us to maintain our integrity and in assisting us to keep, to maintain the awareness that we have. The very fact that we are sitting on ma and that ma is stable is something we're taking in all the time. We can feel that gravity is holding us down and we can feel that that is creating stability. 
we never ask ourselves whether gravity is going to be, whether the law of gravity is going to be canceled by the Supreme Court, <laughs> which would be very inconvenient. One day gravity was rescinded and then all of a sudden we were all there. And then how do we get back down? Then all kinds of problems start to occur. We don't have to worry. So many things to be thankful for. I was taught early in life by my mother. There is always at least something to be thankful for because things can always be worse. So when you're unhappy, just remember that things can always be worse. Sometimes it's hard to know exactly how, but rest assured that it is possible. So we can be very thankful, very grateful to the earth element for, for providing stability. And it's something we're aware of all the time. We're aware of all the time, either that there is noise outside or that there is silence outside. And I have actually met people in New York City, no doubt, who refuse to go to the countryside because it is too quiet. They can't sleep because they are not hearing regular sirens and people shouting and everything else that goes in subways, go rumbling, everything else that happens in the big city. That's how they have developed a balance for themselves, even though it's not much of a balance. So being whether it's a quiet place or a very noisy place, the very fact that we are able, we're always listening, whether we're aware of it or not. And the very fact that we're listening allows us to maintain stability. Even when our eyes are closed, we're still seeing things in our dreams. We're always smelling. We're always touching. We all, you can, you're always aware that the cloth is touching you or not touching you. You're always aware that the wind is blowing or not blowing. There's always something that is reminding you that this is where you are, which is why it is never going to be the case that we will be able to export our awareness up into the cloud somewhere. Of course, nobody asks, you know, suppose the server goes down, then what? Or suppose that granddad is up there in the cloud and the program gets corrupted. And we try to recompile granddad a couple of times, but he still is not working. Then what do we do? So it's an impossibility. It will not happen. It has been, I have a young friend who lives in Australia who works with the arcane mathematics and once went into a room where they test radars and things like that, where there is no, they've engineered it so there is no, um, no uh, uh, reflection of any kind, not from sound and not from light. So if I am directly pointed at you and you say something, I can hear it. But if you point your mouth over there somewhere, you can't hear anything. And if there's a beam of light pointed directly at you, you can see it. And if the light goes off like this, you can't see it. And he said he could stay in there for half an hour before he had to leave because his body just said, get out. And he said that even the, the people there told him that they can stay in for an hour or maybe a little more, and then they have to leave. So that's the degree to which we are dependent on the five elements, continuously giving us information as to what's going on, taking it in, putting it out, 
senses come in, senses go out. The five tanmatras create the five objects of the senses. So there's this continual relationship, awareness going out, taking in the objects, bringing tamas back to the inside. This is the way things have been engineered. The problem only occurs when there is a craving for something outside because that craving for something outside causes the attention to go outside, which causes the prana to go outside. And then there's always the anticipation of I'm going to enjoy this thing and the worry when I'm not busy enjoying it of whether I'll enjoy it again. And the uh, and, and all of this complicated psychological stuff that starts to happen when that thing begins becomes the one thing around which life is completely focused. And that can happen with any substance or any action that is, and all substances and actions are made up of the five elements. So when we talk about the five elements and purifying them, what we're of course really talking about is being able to purify our awareness of all of the different ways in which we interact with the five elements to try to discourage ourselves from being attached to things that are made up of the five elements that are not, after all, what we should be attached to. The thing we should be attached to is the supreme reality that has no limitation since that is the only real thing in the universe. We are fundamentally built on the, an awareness that is not real and we're trying to get back to an awareness that is real. And we can do, and, and, and as my mentor used to say, the, we're, the, the human reality is limited. The, the reason why we do not more easily reconnect to that supreme reality is we're limited by the three gunas, sattva, rajas, and tamas, and the five elements, and the six tastes, because it's the six tastes that are the translators between what goes on in the body and what goes on in the mind. So it's the tastes, the elements, and the gunas. And these are the three things that cover us with great efficiency and keep us from being able to recognize the nature of reality in its nakedness and its purity. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you like to get off your chest? Are you holding on to secrets, fears, or frustrations? We all carry around different stressors, both big and small. Don't keep it all bottled up inside. 
Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and work through whatever is weighing you down. It's also a great way to learn to resolve conflict, change negative thought patterns, and more. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Be Here Now today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Be Here Now.